bringing attention to the Pachubonatama, the here and now, the reality of now. So this is just merely the ability any of us have to just pay attention, like centering or grounding yourself. <coughs> Includes everything, the body, the breath, the mental states, everything, psychic states. Talk, people talk about different realms, different psychic experiences, different emotions, uh, whether it includes going off into deva realms or hell realms or whatever. We're not here to discuss whether there is a such thing as deva realms or angels or anything like that. <laughs> whatever you want to call conditioned phenomena in whatever way it presents itself, physically or through sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, feeling, thought, psychic, mental, psychological, or whatever. Remember, Sapesankarani Cha, all conditions are impermanent. Now this is, you know, this is a, this is a helpful way to, to simplify everything. Because when you're talking about psychic, the psychic realm and different realms, different uh, realities, and and so forth. And some people experience all kinds of things that I've never experienced on that level, or or what you know, certain emotions, or hell realms. But heaven and hell, in all all realms, whether the, you know whatever their length, whether they're eons of time or just a flash through the consciousness in the present is recognized is uh, sankhara. So you notice it's bypassing, uh, giving interest. We're not giving interest to the quality of any condition, whether it's good, bad, fascinating, boring, heaven, heavenly, or hellish, whether it's solid rock, mountain, or just a ephemeral thought or feeling, you know. Notice that this this is now now this is the way uh, you know to simplify because the intellect, the thinking mind, complicates everything. You know, on that level, the thinking mind, we're interested in the qualities, whether it's true or false, whether it's big or little, beautiful or ugly. Does heaven really exist? Is there such a place? Is this is there really hell? Is there a devil? Is there a force of evil in the universe? Is there a God? And, and we can question endlessly, you know, and some people have certain preferences. You know, they incline more to believing in God or others towards disbelieving. So on that notice that the thinking mind, its very function is to discriminate. It's it's this realm of discrimination, of division, of dualism. It's a dualistic function of the mind. It's not unitive. So, it, and and that's all right. It's not a it's not a criticism of thinking. It's just recognizing its limitations. So we can endlessly discuss whether there's a god or not, or whether it's a universal force or a, a kind of energy, energetic oneness, or going on into into kind of efforts 
to put into words the ineffable. But then the then the, the in in terms of my own experience, reality is the unconditioned, not the conditions. Now this is an insight. This isn't a belief, because you know I couldn't, you know I, I could convince myself to believe that if I was only caught in the thinking in my thought process. But this is an insight through through cultivating. You know, this reflective satipanya, or the development of cultivating wisdom. So like here and now, you know, this is, it's always here and now, isn't it? Wherever, wherever your body is, whether, you know, in whatever place is not, no longer uh, important because, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow is potential, isn't it? It's possibility. It's speculation. It's guessing. It's the maybes and the mights and could bes and and that that uh, that we we can contemplate now. We can, tomorrow maybe, or it could be, or it might be, might not be. But tomorrow is a is a is a term, isn't it? We use a t- for time, talking about something that hasn't happened and that's not happening now. And yet, many people live always for tomorrow, you know, the future. Work hard to get, you know, you get paid off in the future. You get rewarded tomorrow <coughs> if you work hard today. That, that's the thinking process, isn't it? I, if I work hard today, then maybe if I work hard enough, I'll, I'll be rewarded tomorrow for hard work. And in the past... Yesterday, yesterday, at this very moment when we're sitting here, Pachubana, Pachubana Dhamma is here and now reality. What is the reality of yesterday? I can remember things that happened yesterday. It was Sunday. Oh, today's Monday. (laughs) That's a memory, isn't it? Uh, that, That I'm experiencing now, Monday. Or Sunday is yesterday. So this is a way of discerning and observing the nature of conditioned phenomena. Big and you know, so the perception of yesterday, I can't sustain it for very long. It kind of, you know, I use it. You know, I remember yesterday somebody said this and we did that, but it's all memory, memories that arise and cease. So this this knowing then. This is pure consciousness combined with panya or discernment. So discerning then is 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 the ability to observe, notice the way it is. Like yesterday is a memory, and yet we could we could you know think of yesterday and and have all kinds of strong emotions you know depending on the memories that you have of yesterday. So you're sitting here. Remembering yesterday, and and get, and getting caught up in all kinds of emotional um, experiences without being aware of what you're doing, and when th- when you actually switch on the light, sati sampachanya, you pay attention. You, you have this way of seeing memory, whatever it's a good memory or bad memory is not the issue. You're not interested in its its quality anymore. 
but recognizing that as Dhamma, all conditions are impermanent, not self. Now, this is a way of sorting out all the, you know, all the fears and desires and habits and, and that that we've acquired in our lifetime. It's not dismissing, it's not bypassing, but it's, it's, it's a way to develop wisdom, discernment. Because if you don't develop discernment, then one is endlessly caught in, the, in, the, in this uh, morass, in this labyrinth of complicated thinking and remembering and planning for the future, and on and on like that. So one's, one's whole life can be spent, you know, wandering through the, a labyrinth of where you get lost and confused. You never know where you are. Because if you just stay on the level of thinking and discrimination, you know, you end up having to take the drink or take Valium or something like that, just to have a lobotomy. That might help, you know, to have, a, have your front lobe cut off, so then you, you would reduce the thinking. But then you couldn't develop panya or wisdom. So, in the in the in this uh, complication uh, of discriminative thinking, you know, we we're developing, we're recognizing discernment. That's called this panya or wisdom. So the 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 discerning what. Like we're si- uh, sitting here and, uh, and observing, discerning, uh, like attachment and non-attachment, like these words, attachment and non-attachment. Now, in, when we talk about the word nibbana, can become, you know, a highly kind of, is that oftentimes this word nibbana in Buddhism, in Theravada Buddhism, gets, and even in any form of Buddhism, gets, gets placed at that kind of, Apex at the pinnacle, the highest point. It's the best. Nibbana is the highest and the best. Now that we're still thinking, aren't we? We're thinking about and and when you're thinking, then of course nibbana. Where does nibbana fit into the thinking process? In that dualism of the best, and if it's just kind of in the middle between the best and the worst. You know, if you're thinking about Nibbana, is it a kind of a, you know, bland compromise between the best and the worst? <laughs> or you can, you know, it's it's better than heaven. Well, that you know, that sounds makes it very attractive. Heaven is, you know, inferior. I'm aiming for Nibbana. I don't want anything anything as inferior as heaven. Spending my life as a monk, you know, I want the best, and that's and what's better than the best? No, this is taking language to absurdity, isn't it? Better than the best, nonsense, isn't it? Best is you can't get better than the best. <laughs> so the thinking process doesn't, you know, give it up. Don't try to, but then. In terms of the using this word nibbana, is that, you know this is how it's about attack non-attack. So this is a discernment, discerning non-attachment and attachment. Before you can recognize non-attachment, before you discern it or recognize it, 
uh, you know, you, you need to recognize what attachment is. If you don't even know you're attached to things, then you, you know, how are you going to recognize non-attachment? Because some people say, oh, I'm not attached to anything. Free spirit. Take my house, my car, my wife, my lovely children, my pet poodle. I don't care. I'm not attached to them. <laughs> so this word attachment or upadana in Pali. Upadana. Now there's ignorance and upadana. They, you know, the, the Upadana is a result of ignorance or avicca. So we're talking about attachment that comes from ignorance. So it's not a kind of, you know, the, we should, uh, one of these uh, ideas we get from, you know, not understanding Buddhism is that we shouldn't be attached to anything. So we can, uh, Buddha said, don't be attached to anything. You shouldn't be attached. And then we think, attachment is bad. I am somebody that's so attached. I love my children. I can't really be a Buddhist because uh, I'd have to, you know, get rid of my children. So I wouldn't be attached to them. And my beautiful house. And my Ferrari. And my pet poodle. And my Rolex. <laughs> and get rid of them all. You know, become a, a, a mendicant. Just to prove I'm not attached. But then, as all of you know, being a mendicant, you can you still can be attached to all kinds of things. Being a Buddhist monk, you know, if I, when I first started observing upadana, you know, I was attached to all kinds of monastic things. So the attachment, you know, even if you give up everything and become a samana, you can cling to everything in the samana life. Cling to its idealism. Cling to you know, your robes, and then somebody, somebody will always want to say, Can, you're probably attached, Ajahn Sumedho, to Buddhist monasticism. You should disrobe to prove you're not attached. <laughs> 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 oh, they're that person, I mean, they're simple-minded idiot. Because <laughs> that's just thinking, isn't it? That's logic. If I'm a person, if I'm a personality that's attached to being a Buddhist monk, out of ignorance. That's that's one thing. But the point of Buddhist monasticism is not to be attached to it. So it's, a, it's merely expedient means. It's a, it's a helpful tool for discerning attachment and non-attachment. Ubadana. Now this is this is intuitive. Then we get into these words like sati sampachanya and it's the attentiveness to discern. You know, like discerning right now, just visually sitting here, I can discern. There's awareness around the, the conditions and the space. I'm not thinking about it in terms of conditions being better than space or space being better than conditions. It's not a critical, uh, you know, taking, a, taking sides with one against the other or analyzing it, but just noticing, <coughs> discerning the space between the people, discerning, recognizing. Where if I'm caught up in, in the vicha and attachment, then, uh, then, I, then to, you know, I don't tend to notice, I don't tend to discern, I'm just caught up in, in agendas that I have, or ideas, or views, or feelings of the moment. 
like you know come in already with an axe to grind or a viewpoint or a feeling and not notice not discern anything but just wind myself up for an hour without discerning so this discernment then is, is a this is awakened consciousness it is not thinking but it can be aware of thinking it can use thinking not as through attachment to thinking but as a skillful tool then it that's what it's meant to be, thinking it, it can be a skillful tool. Or if we attach to it and identify with it, it uh, just ends up with wichikicha, or doubt, the third fetter that binds us to suffering. So, in the, you know, without using sight, eye consciousness, just uh, closing the eyes, just being aware, discerning. You know, the, what, what arises in consciousness now? There's consciousness, sound of silence, and then there can be things arising in, you know, like thoughts or feelings or that will arise in consciousness. So suddenly, you, you know, you're, you're, there's this uh, uh, sati sampachanya, and then you su- your body starts producing, uh, you start feeling discomfort and becomes conscious. Now there's awareness in uh, of this uh, you know, this feeling of physical discomfort, or of uh, memories start arising, thoughts, or or doubts. Because now what am I supposed to do is sitting here, empty, not attached, God, it's boring. Should I do metta practice, or anapanasati, or 32 parts of the body? Because then, you know, this this uh, wanting to do something, this habitual, this kind of energetic, compulsive thing, you know, feeling, wanting it should be doing something, controlling something, getting rid of something. But you can discern that. It's been, I watch that in myself a lot. Cause it, it's it's a, so much a part of my conditioning, this kind of compulsiveness. Of, of it, there's something to do, something I've, I haven't done yet that I've got to, I've got to do. And so then that you know, awareness of recognizing this kind of feeling of this compulsive bawadana put it in the category of bawadana you know this desire to be something it becomes obsessive having to get somewhere prove something get something get rid of something and then the relationship to non-attachment being aware of it and then seeing what recognizing attachment ubadana Dunha ubadana, desire and attachment. Discerning it is like this. Desire, bhava dunha, ubadana is like this. So you're recognizing, you're, you're discerning attachment, desire and attachment. You know, you, it's developing this panya to know what it is. It is it's, not, it's not a discrimination. Uh, discrimination then is thinking where desire is bad and we shouldn't be attached then you're back in the self-view again I am somebody that is attached and and this is not good that's discernment dis- that discrimination <clears throat> when you talk about panya it's discerning recognizing in other words no desire gamadana bhavadana vipavadana recognizing it like this compulsive feeling, you know, of, uh, having, I should, I've got something, I've got to get something, I've got to do something. It's, you know, that, that, dr- that drove me for years. 
even in monasticism. You're brought up to be that way. <coughs> in the society I grew up in, is very obsessed with getting something, with the idea of progress, American uh, ideal of progress. Of we've got to, you know, you've got to work hard to achieve. You've got to be creative. Now they use words creative and and uh, imaginative, visionary, in order to to have worldwide democracy, to demo to let the Iraqis be creative with their own democracy. This is how Condoleezza Rice is talking. <laughs> creative. Creative democracy for the Iraqis. And you think, oh my God, you know, this is <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that inspires anyone, but it, it kind of repels me. Because it's rubbish, isn't it? This, this idea of creative <laughs> democracy is, is, is just words. Now, in uh, discernment and recognizing these ideas, or they can be good ideas. Creative democracy sounds—you know—you can say it's a good idea, and I suppose it might inspire some people. But, you know, when you've heard these words over and over and, and the kind of hip hypocritical use of them, you become quite cynical. But attachment, then, is, is, you know, being caught into this in reaction, in being cynical or being inspired or <coughs> being caught up, being taken over by one's, you know, not losing it, but just being caught up in, in the feeling of whether... You like or don't like it, approve or disapprove. So then, the discernment is this. Nat is natural to discern to know that conditioned phenomena is like this. Feeling, uh, in, uh, inspired, or cynical is like this. You, you can observe it, discern it, conditioned phenomena. If I, this is what I'm, this is the condition that's in consciousness at this moment, it's like this. Recognizing, and then actually when, as soon as we recognize, use sati sampachanya and then panya, you know, there's not attachment. To really see something, you have to let go of it, to get perspective on it. To really see it and discern it for what it is as a condition. So pray Sankarani Cha. You can't hold on and just say it's a Nietzsche, it's a, it's some kind of intellectual projection onto it. It's just, just by this ability we have to be aware, then we're actually letting go at the same moment. So then the discerning of non-attachment Recognizing non-attachment is like this. So realizing nibbana, non-attachment. Can you say that's the best? This is, does, does that way of thinking make sense anymore? When you're trying to, you know, you recognize that that's better than heaven. Nibbana is better than heaven. Or then it gets into being nonsensical again, pointless. So discerning is. Is a, is a cultivation, bhavana, 
Well, you you see for yourself because you 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 recognize the suffering you create through this ignorance and attachment that one's whole lot, you know the sense of a separate self, this separation, me and mine, and the, the out of ignorance, with not knowing any better, just programmed to fully be committed to one's ignorance, you know, is uh, is is dukkha, is suffering. So then the discerning is this is this is this is this uh, non-attachment then isn't suffering. Using the word dukkha, you know, you, you can observe uh, suffering and non-suffering. When I create myself as a person, you know, if I out of ignorance, when I you know, heedless, but when I'm heedless and I just get caught up in my own feelings and views and fears and desires. You know, even after 40 years of monasticism, I'm still, still suffering. It probably isn't as severe as it would be if I'd, if I'd never been a monk and never developed meditation. <laughs> if I was going in the direction that I was before I ordained, probably wouldn't even be alive now. <laughs> no. Uh, even on the level of having been a, a monk for 40 years, on a personal level, in a good monk, with a good teacher and all kind of good people and all the rest, it's just uh, something missing. There's a lack, you know, on the condition being attached to even the best condition. It's still something missing. This, this bit, that this piece of life that, that you've you, you, don't know you've missed out you you feel cheated in a way or you you can't or you feel self disparaging now that's sakyaditi again to self disparage you have to believe in sakyaditi but if you discern wisdom non attachment then there's no dukkha this this is non suffering so the Fourth Noble Truth is all about the cultivation of non-suffering, non-attachment, non-self. Cultivation doesn't mean going around creating views about non-suffering, but wrecking, discerning this, this natural, natural way, natural being, pure consciousness, before you divide it up into you and me and good and bad and the rest. So then you see for yourself, well, why? I don't have to suffer. When you see you see this, you discern reality. This is real. This is not pretending I don't suffer from the Sakyaditi level. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm so happy. I love everything, love everybody. I think Theravada Buddhism is just so nice and happy, happy. It's not that. It's not trying to to, you know, paint everything pink and convince yourself you're happy. And this is this is profound knowing, you know. It's, the reality is here and now. It's this. This is real, and this personality is unreal. This isn't reality. My personality is so changeable, depending on the weather. So, in you know, in terms of, you know, living in a in a country like this, which is, you know, has a national religion, Church of England. And you you know you hear, all, you know news about the problems of the Anglican Church of England Archbishop of Canterbury and 
people don't believe in God anymore, and and you know, trying to to uh, get people to get the get the British to believe in God again. How are we going to get the youth, young British people, to believe in God? No. <laughs> Things like this, you know, how to deal with the problems of the society. Because if we believe in God, then there's, then there's a sense of, you know, there's something moral and kind of secure in that. If you, I suppose if you're a devout Christian. Or if you don't believe in God, you're capable of anything. All kinds of immoral activities and whatnot. But if you believe in God, you're not likely to degenerate into immoral activities, I think is the logic of that way. <laughs> but then in terms of what do you mean by God? It's a word, three-letter word. It's an Anglo-Saxon word, and it probably originated, you know, in, in German, which was um, meant, you know, like Odin or some of these kind of Norse deities. And now it's kind of promoted to the God, but it's only a word in recognizing if, you know, what that, the reality of God. Is it a belief or, you know, with the, day, the problems I think Christianity have is it personifies God. It creates a, this kind of patriarchal icon of God. You can't help it because you always refer to God as he and God the Father. And, and it's always, you know, it's, it's, it's ingrained, it's conditioned into the psyche. For any Christian or Jew, that God is a man. The feminists contested that. I remember years ago in the feminist movement, in the high eighties, they had in New York City, they had they they had a figure of a woman, woman's body, nailed to the cross, and they called it Jesus. <laughs> and some people were so angry and shocked. A naked female body nailed to a cross. I mean, it's because the the perception, the habitual perception, is is a male body, and that Jesus is is male. And and the, you know, you're conditioned to see it in that way. When it, and then as as you put a female body on, then it just it shocks you because you're there's attachment to to this particular form, to this icon. But in your, when, you're, when you're recognizing or realizing this reality is now, the unconditioned is now, you know that it's not, it's not about male or female, because those are discriminative terms. That's back into the thinking realm of conditioned phenomena, of, no, of discriminating the difference. Men are like this, women are like this. But when, they, when, you're, when there's pure consciousness, awareness, non-attachment, discrimination, you can still use it, but it's not coming out of ignorance, you know, on a practical level or that. It's not forbidden. But it's no longer attached to out of ignorance. You know, we're, we're transcending the discriminatory thinking habit to, you know, discerning uh, wisdom, to use wisdom and recognize that non-suffering is, is is real, you know, the reality of non-suffering, of non-self, here and now. You can recognize it. It's recognizable. And then attachment to conditions is like this. 
So you can see when when the, the you know the skillful use the the Buddha is using language in a very skillful way, so that because it is one of our gifts as human the human species, isn't it? Is we, we can think, we have retentive memories, we can discriminate, but we've overdeveloped, we've we've deluded ourselves with our intelligence. We've not developed wisdom with intelligence. We've developed discrimination. To it's dangerous now. We we're destroying ourselves. We're so clever, so very <laughs> clever in in our discrimination, ability to manipulate conditioned phenomena following our own desires. You realize how much of our cleverness is destructive. Goes into weapons and war, and you know, and, uh, how much money, taxpayers' money is used to build weapons, war weapons to fight others to kill. And very clever, you know, the weaponry now is, you know, they're trying to, they just love it, you know, to develop different kinds of bombs that completely, you know, go into the earth and uproot everything, where you can direct a, a, a missile. So if you want to hit uh, so-and-so in uh, some place in Jerusalem, you can set the this little missile and it'll go strike. It'll miss everybody else. All the there'll be no collateral damage, no innocent women and children. They'll have this super bomb in which it'll we can just direct it right to the nasty person we want to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they love that. You know, they 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 cough up billions of dollars just to if they could make it that precise. But as it is now with all the clever, they still have to bludgeon whole communities to death to get to try to get one nasty person dead. And then they usually miss him. <laughs> now discernment then comes from the unconditioned. This is intuitive awareness, Satisampachanya. So we, when we call it the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unformed, unoriginated. This is a use of words. These are abstract. You can't imagine that. And try to imagine the unborn and unformed. You know, try to create an image. It just goes blank, doesn't it? It's, then that's like annihilation to a lot of people. We're taking refuge in annihilation. You know, just big blank, nothing. But on an intuitive level, and then when we trust this intuitive awareness, we discern, you know, from this this position of knowing of discernment. And this is, you know, the the human discerning right now the, the, within this the limitation of this form, this human body that I refer to as Ajahn Sameto, this this body sitting here, discerning from this position. So that, you know, it's not, you know, discerning from the from the God position, you know, knowing everything about everything, but knowing Discerning, recognizing the unconditioned is freedom, is liberation, it's like this. And then test it out, you know, just more and more as you cultivate this, then it becomes, it's, you know, it's so obvious that sometimes you, you forget how, you know, how easily, you know, how most, most of the world's terribly deluded. So you sometimes, you, know, you get this kind of frustration. Right. You want to tell people, 
look, it's here and now. God, weird, isn't he? The religious fanatic, or he's gone off. Probably needs a rest. Needs to go on retreat. Ask God in Sadito if there's a kuti free in the hammer wood. <laughs> we can put Ajahn Sumato in for a while till he calms down. So this is, uh, you know, the you re- recognize also that this this lo- longing to help others, to inform others, is desire. So more and more you relinquish even that, you know, you just totally trust in in the simplicity of awareness. Like surrender, what real renunciation is, what real nekama is. And then in in then in terms of, you know, the vipaka karma. Or the resultant karma of having been born. And I find this a useful concept because, you know, the insights I've had, I've had many years ago, but then the, you know, in terms of time, but then uh, over the 40 years of monastic life, you know, all kinds of things happen, uh, you know, that, that, uh, you know, when karma ripens and, and, um, you know, the loss of parents and friends and teachers and changing conditions and praise and blame and all the rest still happen. But the, you know, this is, vip- this is vipaka karma or the result, uh, result of having been born in a separate form. And then, the, you know, the, whatever happens, it's, you experience it, but your relationship to it is knowing it and uh, discerning it, no longer creating karma with it. Like with awareness, the vipaka karma that arises in the present, you not you recognize it. You don't make it into a problem. You just know it's like this and it of course it ceases. You've not made karma. Like making karma out of is from out of ignorance and desire. So what we do, you know, with with vipaka karma is we usually create more karma with it. So, you know, something unpleasant happens to us and and then we we start, you know, seeking revenge or acting, you know, you can't treat me like this and then I start acting on it, then I'm creating karma again with the vipaka karma. I'm reacting to it. But if I'm aware of it, just aware of it like this, I'm not creating any. I'm I'm discerning. I'm accepting it. I'm feeling it. But like conditioned phenomena arises and ceases. So you're you're letting the vipaka karma, you know, arise and cease. There's no personal karma in that. You're not creating personal karma anymore with your body, with your emotions, thoughts, memories. It's all be. It's all what we call past knowledge. Sama ditti, sama sangapo, sama waja, sama gamanto, sama jivo, sama vayamu, sama sati, sama samadhi. The Eightfold Path, in other words. Or bhavana. Meditation, this is real meditation. So then there's, there's the recognition of, of sada, what, what's translated as faith. It's, it's a faith then, this sada isn't faith in in somebody in some doctrine 
it's not like I believe in Buddhism or Buddha's teaching and and all that, or believe Ajahn Chah's teaching. Not believing in things. This uh, sada then, sata, the Pali word sata is, is is faith that comes from wisdom. It's trust, trusting. So this this word trust, I trust this. This is this is my refuge. Is awareness. It's not because I believe in it, because I know it. I can forget it, you know, because the world gets very intimidating and and um, you know, vipaka kama rises and you can get whirled away with you know things on on the worldly level. And then I re- remember, ah, here and now, pachubana dhamma, sound of silence, immediate, you know. It's uh, it's you know then the then that tend that that kind of whirlwind of sakyaditi filabhadabhamasa wichikicha falls away. I'm no longer kind of caught in that whirling vortex whirlwind of self and conditioning and thinking. It's just this. And then the world can get very insistent. You know you know in a position like I'm in, and people come and they have, you know, you've got to do something, you've got to, you know, they they, they got to intimidate you. And you've got to, (laughs) all the kind of cause celeb of of the worldly life, you know. And, and, you know, personally, I'm quite a, you know, I I like goodness and want to help people. I'm personally... Uh, quite altruistic on a personal level, you know, as a personality, you know. So it's, it's uh, you know, if I'm not discerning, if I'm not trusting in awareness, it's easy to to g- get intimidated, personally intimidated. But knowing that, you know, trusting this and cultivating this way, this eightfold path. This fourth noble truth, Bhavana, is an ongoing challenge. But it's not a challenge like that's difficult. It's just re- recognizing and trusting. And over the years, it's trusting then, because put it to the test during the, all the kind of intimidations and threatening conditions and crises that I've been through in forty years. This is the real refuge. I know it, you know, put it to the test. Even when everything's falling apart for me, this is this is the refuge. So people can have asked me, you know, what Sangha life, will Buddhism develop in Europe, will Theravada monasticism, Thai forest tradition, will it survive? Will, uh, you know, all these questions about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. And one can be, you know, thinking one would like to establish a tradition here in Britain and its monastery and 
what will happen when Ajahn Sumedho dies and uh, and what's going you know will Theravada Buddhism develop or will it change or modernize or stay conservative or traditional or uh, whatever you know these are speculations And then you think, well, Amravati, you know, a thousand years at least. But that's, that's Ajahn Sumato hyperbole. You know, whether it lasts or doesn't, it's not really an issue, is it? Because, uh, you know, not interested in that, in, in, in just, you know, trying to, you know, personally get involved in forms and conventions uh, as an end in themselves. Because you realize that the purpose of the convention is for enlightenment, for awareness. And if we're just creating separative forms as ends in themselves, you know, Theravada Buddhism in Europe and and uh, have Buddhist monks and Buddhist nuns and it can carry on the tradition over generations that's that might be visionary or idealistic but what is the point of this what what is what gives this this particular conventional form why is it so useful now what is its message to you know why why do we why are we here in a modern country like this with such an old convention from Asia, from India. And so, you know, you know, for me, it's because of the, it does work, you know, it's a, it's a skillful tool. And if it was just merely some kind of Indian religious custom, it wouldn't, there'd be very few people interested in it, a few maybe anthropologists or archaeologists or whatever might find that fascinating, you know, ancient Indian religion. But most people wouldn't you know, wouldn't be very interested in it, you know, and trying to make it come alive in modern Britain would be kind of a ridiculous thing to do. But because it is, you know, it's not about culture. Or age is not ancient India or modern Britain anymore. It's about Pachubana Dhamma, here and now, the human condition. Because that's still the same, no doubt. Probably exactly the same dukkha at the in ancient India as we experience now. Human human delusion, ignorance. Avicca bhajaya sankara. Ignorance affects everything. Ignorance infects everything. <laughs> so, getting to the root, what is ignorance? The ignorance, avicca, then, is being deluded by these illusory conditions. 
the five khandas, identity, attachment, self-view. So then awakened attention is liberation. So awakeness is not something you achieve, but something you suddenly recognize. It's just this. It's the immediacy, the pachubana, tamma, the here and now, reality. It's not created. 